what I, I wanted to talk about this week, I was thinking about patience, the, which is um, for a number of reasons, which I'll get into in a little bit. And patience, as I was thinking about it, is one of the paramis. And I'm, I, you probably are familiar with the paramis. In Theravada, there are 10 of them. In Mahayana, there are six of them. But in Theravada, there are 10 qualities that are thought to be necessary to develop for liberation and Sylvia Balls, Sylvia Borstein calls them a natural inclination of the heart and Ajahn Suchito calls them a path of healing so they're these really beautiful qualities that are helpful and the Buddha never taught them as such like here are 10 things but he did talk about each of them in various teachings so they're not like really out of line and then I was in a class on Thursday with Lama Rod Owens and he talked about a practice of love, and it made me think about patience because it had been on my mind and how that's actually a practice of love. Pati being patient is, is really offering a kindness to yourself and to others. And, and then he spoke about unconditional love and how we can cultivate, how can we cultivate it or... Um, you know, how different qualities are conditioned. And he mentioned generosity as a quality of unconditional love. And generosity is also one of the paramis. It's actually the first in the list of 10 paramis, this, this, sense, of, this sense of generosity. And so I was thinking about it, thinking about it, and I said, I wanted to look at generosity. I want to look at patience. And I want to look at loving kindness. And what I want to do with Lama Ra talked about unconditionality and what I I thought about was also one of my favorite topics, which is how to live with an unconditioned, uh, excuse me, an undefended heart, which is which is basically greeting the world with unconditional love. And how does that show up? How do we do that? What does that look like? And so I want to touch on each of these three um, uh, qualities because I think they are they're really important for us as we move through the world and um, they're really beneficial if we can if we can tap into them if we can allow them to be part of how we how we in, uh, connect with others and with ourselves this is one of the most important parts of these teachings it's not just how we treat others it's how we treat ourselves and so I'm going to talk, I'll start with generosity since it's the first of the paramis in the list. And generosity is really important. I think you probably know that it's taught in, um, in traditional Buddhist uh, countries and cultures. It's taught even before mindfulness because is, it is this antidote to clinging. If you are generous, you're not holding on to anything. You're able to, you know, walk around with open hands, open palms, so to speak. You have this, this uh, natural, or you have this ability to not cling, but to release. And Gil Fransdahl, I remember, in, um, he was talking about generosity, and he says, it can be natural and spontaneous as a result of our insight practice. This insight practice allows us to see how connected we are to each other and 
that when we have this recognition of our shared um, humanity, there's this inclination to be generous in various ways. And that's true, but for many of us, it also needs to be cultivated. So it can be both a natural um, out, outcome, outcome of our practice, and it can also be cultivated because sometimes we are stuck in some places. Sometimes, you know, we're generous in one area, but um, not so generous in other areas. And when I talk about generosity, I don't necessarily mean financial generosity, which is oftentimes where our mind goes when we think about generosity. There's all kinds of generosity. There's generosity of spirit. There's generosity of time. There's generosity of listening. There's generosity of taking someone to the airport. That's always one of my favorite examples of, of generosity. That's actually, if you live in L.A. and you have to take somebody to LAX, that's a tremendous gift that you're giving someone. So the generosity can show up in all kinds of ways. Even, you know, letting someone go ahead of you in line. That, holding the door for someone, that's generous because when we are trapped by the idea of self, when we are stuck in I, mean and I, me, and mine, we're not in this place of, of open-handedness and generosity because we're so self-focused. And Sakaya Ditti, this, this, this self-view, this idea that you know, the world revolves around us, even if it's not conscious, it's how we move through the world, making sure we have ours. It's really um, difficult to be open-handed and open-hearted. Conditional love, not unconditional love, but love that is conditional, comes from a place of separation, of othering to a certain extent. So unconditional love is this place of not othering, is this place of, of really being connected with others. And I love how Pema Chodron um, talks about um, how we struggle with generosity because we come from a feeling of inadequacy, that there's just not enough. We, we don't have what we need, we don't have what we want, we're fearful of not getting, of not, we're, you know, we live in the future. What if? And so we have to hold on to things in order to be okay. You know, we're, we, we are afraid of letting go because if I let go, then what? What if I need it? You know what that's like if you've ever tried to clean out your closet or clean out the garage and you go, oh, as soon as I give it away, I'm going to need it. Anybody ever have that thought? Always. And 99% of the time, it's not. But that's a, that's a, and that's a really, that's a, you know, kind of a, a not silly, but it's not, you know, a deep or, or uh, uh, you know, deep, deep, deep example. But it is an example. Even something like that can cause us suffering, can cause dukkha when we're clutching because of fear. What if I give it away and then I need it? What if I do this? then I do that. What if I say yes to this and then I won't be able to say yes to that? That is this place of I, me, and my. That's this place of constriction and tightness and, 
and holding on to things. You know, we're stuck in the story of I, me, and my. There's a self-centeredness which fosters greed. Again, it doesn't mean we're, we're out there accumulating money and living like, you know, billionaires who apparently don't have enough billions and need to uh, uh, amass more billions, but we have our own little ideas of, of what we can let go of, what we can't let go of, and how painful that is, how painful that can be, you know? And tr I think Pema Chodron also said that transformation from clinging craving begins when we give away what we think we can't. We have to start moving in a direction of letting go, which is all the Buddha teaches. Let go, let go, let go. There's also, I, I've, I know recently I've, I've had the conversation about letting be. And so if you don't pick something up and grasp it, you just let it be. But once you've picked it up and grasped it, can you let it go again? And so it's all about just not clinging, because to cling is to suffer. To hold on tightly is to, you know what that feels like. Your teeth are clenched, your, your belly's tight, your hands are, eh, your shoulders are up around your ears. That is not fun. And when we can let go, there's a spaciousness. So letting go is generosity. And the Buddha talked about the importance of generosity, and he said, there's a there's a, a a gift we get. We we recognize how good it is before we give when we reflect on it. There's a there's a uh, it's pleasant when we give and when we reflect on what we did do in the past. So it's like this gift that keeps on giving, the gift of giving that keeps on giving. You know, it's this generosity of our heart, whatever the act is. You know. We give with respect, we give with joy, and with happiness, not re begrudgingly or because we're supposed to. That's the uncondition, unconditional part of it. We don't give with this idea. It's not a transactional kind of a thing. It comes from open-heartedness. It comes from the undefended heart. It comes, becomes because we recognize the importance of it. We recognize the power of it. We recognize that we're all in this um, together. I, I I'm, um, belong to this group called Buy Nothing. Some of you may have heard of it. It's I think they're all around the country, and this one's in, uh, I'm on a Facebook group, and they're very geographical. They're very small, so it's just a very small area, so there are multiple of them, and it's called Buy Nothing, and if you have stuff that you want to get rid of, you just post it and say, who wants this? And then somebody comes and takes it. And it's really a beautiful feeling to be able to, it's like something I've had in my cupboard for 20 years. And I'm like, why am I still holding on to this? And then you find someone who's like, oh my God, I really need this. And it's like, wow, joy to be able to offer that. And then some people ask for stuff and say, hey, I can really use X, Y, or Z. And you go, hey, I have one of those here. It's really sweet. Again, it's simple, but it's sweet. And we're opening our hearts. You know? You know, truly, with an undefended heart, that is where the beauty of generosity flows. It flows out and it flows in. 
And the Buddha actually did describe unconditional generosity in one of the suttas. There were a number of, of, of stanzas where he talked about it, and but just this one, he said, having given a gift, not seeking one's own profit, not with a mind attached to the reward, not seeking to store up for oneself, nor with the thought, I'll enjoy this after death, meaning there'll be good karma. That's how we give, with no thought of return for ourselves. How can we be generous with each other? That is a movement towards open-heartedness, undefended heart, unconditional love for each other. And we receive, we allow others to be generous to us. That can be even more challenging than offering something to others, being able to, letting other people be generous with us. That's huge, that's huge. But it's really worth the practice. So that's generosity. And then the other quality that I thought was really, really uh, um, big in this is the quality of patience, which is patience is not necessary unless we're not okay with what it is, with what's going on. If every if we're fine with everything, there's no need to be patient. And so that is really the essence of the second noble truth. If there is a impatience, there is resistance to what is, and that is, you know, we want what we want. Suffering dukkha comes from not wanting, not being satisfied with the way it is, whatever that is. You know, and often there's, there's judgment involved around this, you know, ugh. They're not doing it right. Or I'm not doing it right. We're not patient with ourselves. So again, as I mentioned earlier, this recognition that we have to be, be patient with ourselves, we have to be generous with ourselves, taking ourselves into consideration as well. You know? We are judging based on what we want. So I have a a couple of stories. I was I was um, traveling a couple of weeks ago when I was coming home from Zurich, and I was at the airport. And I've my niece lives near Zurich, so I've been there a few times at the airport. And it was the most crowded I have seen it in forever. And my my niece's husband dropped me off, and I got out of the car and I walked in, and it took me two hours to get from the front door to my gate. And it wasn't because I was like, la la la. It was because there was a line, a really long line to show your boarding pass. So then you got into the security area. And the line for that was just, I mean, serpentine, serpentine. serpentine. It was worse than lines at Disneyland. It was just like wrapping around. And then there was another line to go anyway. So in that the line to go through security, I was, it was just, okay, we're just waiting, we're just waiting. And I tried to really be conscious at airports about how I react to others and judge others because it can be a place for me of really great judgment. So I really intentionally try and remember that I love everyone at airports. So on this one line before going through security, I was talking to a couple of people behind me. There were Americans. In fact, one of the guys was a, 
a flight attendant for um, an Air, American airline, but he was he was on vacation and he was heading home and we were chatting and laughing and la 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 la. But the line just took forever and as we were getting towards the the um, finally getting up to the security, he was starting to bark a little bit and like meh, 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 meh. And then we went through the other side and then there was a line to go down the escalator and somehow he got in front of me and he was talking to his buddy and I made some comment and he just turned around and looked at me like, ugh, go away. And I went, oh, you've changed. And then he started barking at other people, don't cut and this. And then we got down there and then I was on the passport control line and there were other people there and Somebody is saying, you have to let me in because my husband's sick and we need to sit down. And this other person's like, no, I just had a stroke. You can't get in front of me. And it was like, oh, my goodness, this has gone to another level. It was extraordinary, but it was such a lack of patience. This is the way it is. Does that barking, does that nastiness do anything? but it's because we're unable to be okay with the way it is. You know, How, watching. I, I often ask myself, if I get there 10 minutes sooner, will I live happily ever after? No. And can I let a person in in front of me who seems to need to move through more quickly? Sure. It's like on freeways. That is so much harm is caused by impatience these days road rage all kinds of stuff i mean that guy who we i was chatting with one minute and who was starting to yell at people another minute it was like what a transformation and i know i've been impatient in my life but to recognize that this is the second noble truth i am not okay with the way it is Duca, duca, duca. You know, and this last week, I spent the week in Arizona with my girlfriend who's having health issues, and she's having friends come and stay with her for like a week or so at a time to help her do stuff that she can't do. She's, she's getting better, but it's time-consuming, and she's talking about having to have patience with health. With all of a sudden, her life has turned 180 degrees. She can't do what she used to be able to do. How do you hold that? How do you have patience with such a huge life shift? And we're all going to be dealing with these things. And if we can't develop patience, if we can't recognize the truth of the second, the, the truth of the second noble truth of dukkha, then we're going to continue to suffer. Impatience is not pleasant. So can we develop patience? To develop patience, we need a commitment to maintaining a peaceful, benevolent heart. There's this intentionality. Again, that open-heartedness. You know? We need to be committed to letting it be. Because we can't change. How powerful are we? I can't change TSA. I can't change traffic. How do I, how do I tend to that stuff? Because sometimes there's anxiety. A lot of people in the line were getting anxious about missing a flight, and my girlfriend's getting anxious about 
What if my health doesn't get back to where it was? You know, we want to always go back to where it was instead of learning how to be with what is. And that's what this is about. How do we greet this moment with equanimity, without judgment, without I, me, and mine? That's the cultivation of patience. That's the cultivation of an open heart. And then the final piece of this, which is almost obvious, is the, the parami of metta, which is usually translated as, as loving kindness, which is unconditional friendliness. It's unconditional friendliness. It's like when I'm at the airport, I said I try and do that at the airport, talking to people saying, oh yeah, I love you. I forgot I love you because otherwise I get really judgy and there's no need. That's all about me. I wouldn't do it the way you do it, so how come you do it that way? That's judging instead of going, I love you. May you be happy. May you be healthy. And there's a humanity. When we can let go of that judginess and cultivate that kindness, that friendliness, there is a recognition of our shared humanity which is so often missing when we other people. We lose that humanity. You know, and that's absolutely an undefended heart. That's absolutely unconditional. That's the hardest thing. Metta, loving kindness, is part of the, the four Brahma Viharas, the heart practices, which are metta, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. It's not easy. It's unconditional, but it's not easy. You know, and the Buddha said in the, in the, in the um, Dhammapada, the first couplet, hatred will never cease through hatred, only by love. You know, that's the eternal law, as challenging as it may be. You know, loving kindness is the practice where we begin to let go of hatred towards anyone. You know, we've cultivated wisdom and clear seeing, and we recognize that everyone suffers, and their suffering causes them to act unskillfully. And if it's towards us, we have a tendency to want to lash out in some way. And this is the reminder that we don't achieve happiness by cultivating hate or animosity, only by love. You know, and it's not easy. This is so challenging. I was, I actually had this conversation. One of the reasons I went to, the main reason I went to Europe was to go to a, a small conference. I am, uh, I do archaeology too. And um, the director of the excavation I was on, he lives in northern Italy and he has a, a meeting every year of the people who are working on the material from the site we were excavating. There were about 15 of us and I was talking to one of the women who lives in Damascus in Syria, and we were, I was talking about my experience in the airport, and he's saying, oh, yeah, I love everyone. I have to remember that. And she goes, I don't. I hate people. There are people who deserve to be hated. She, and I can't say, no, you're wrong. I can only greet her the way she is because her experience, she has lived in a country um, that's been, um, there was civil war and constant attacks and uh, for the last 12, 13 years. She has had an experience that's vastly different to, than, from mine. 
vastly different from mine. So how can I say, no, you can't do that, that's wrong? I can't say that. I can honor her experience. And then we had further conversations about softening our hearts and tending to ourselves with compassion, which she really connected with, because that hatred is so debilitating. It doesn't mean we don't work to end injustice. It does. I mean, look at what's happening in Israel right now and with Palestine. It's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And all the hatred and all the suffering that's going on around the world, it's really challenging in our own country, in the U.S. I mean, everywhere. There's this us and them, I, me, my, you, yours, separation, 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 you know? So the willingness to put down that hatred, recognizing the injustice, recognizing when horrific things are being done and working to ending them, but not being willing to not carry that in your heart. Because carrying it in our heart doesn't do anything. It can damage us and it can spill out and, and cause harm to others. It's really important to have that, recognize that distinction that it doesn't mean we let things go. Oh, my, the, my woman I was talking to in, in Italy was saying that's what she had this idea that when I said I love everyone that it's just like la la la. And I said, no, there's the accountability. I'm not hardening my heart, which, which, which allows me to walk with ease, but it also allows me to feel compassion for others, compassion for myself and compassion for others. And we have to, my intention is to, I aspire to that. The Buddha said it, you know, the Buddha offered that teaching that we sit imbued with a heart of compassion and kindness and equanimity and appreciative joy. And, and in the Metta Sutta, one of my favorite, my favorite lines, um, this, is, um, this is the translation Sharon Salzberg has in her book, Loving Kindness. You know, she goes, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, you know, weak or strong, great, mighty, medium, short or small, seen and unseen, living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease, omitting none. Even people we don't like, even people who are causing great harm, can I open my heart? Can I recognize their suffering that causes them to cause this? This is graduate level stuff. And it really is a challenge. But we don't start with the worst. We start with the neighbor who annoys us. We start with our siblings or our family or something that is not ginormous. We have the, the I don't know what it is, but we have this tendency to go right to the worst person in the world. And that you don't go to the gym and pick up a 500 pound weight. You start with the two pounds and then go to the five pounds. You work yourself up. But the aspiration, hopefully, is to move in that direction, is to move towards that. 
this open heart, this unconditional love for all beings, for ourselves, for others. Generosity, patience. And another one of the um, paramis that I'm not really going to get into, but I want to touch on because I think they're really helpful for a foundation um, to begin to bring this into our lives is, is um, sila. Sila is one of the paramis, which is, which is virtue, which is sila is also a whole section of the Eightfold Path, which is wise speech and wise action and wise livelihood. And inside wise action is, is not taking what's not freely offered. It's kind of the precepts are kind of inside that idea of sila. How do we move through the world? Not intentionally killing, not causing harm, being wise with our speech, being wise with our sexuality, not taking, not ingesting things that would cause us to be heedless, whatever it is, intoxicants, reading, listening to things that cause us to lose our, our awareness. Um, not taking what's not offered. And, and not just not doing things, but cultivating the, the wise... Um, the wise react, wise response. If instead of causing harm, we cultivate compassion. Instead of taking what's not offered, we cultivate generosity. You know, instead of being harsh with our speech, we're we're truthful. We're kind. We say what needs to be said. It doesn't mean we only say la la nice things, which is again a big misunderstanding, especially in, in Buddhist communities saying, oh, I can't say anything that would upset somebody else. That's not what this wise speech is about. It's about saying what needs to be said. If you need to tell someone they're acting inappropriately or causing harm, you do it with kindness. You do it at the appropriate time, but you do it if it needs to be done. You say it if it needs to be said. That's part of it. So the, this, this foundation of wise action and, and sila is a place to land as you cultivate this open heart because it gives you that foundation. It gives you that ground. I like to think of it as a circus. A, 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 if you're doing a high wire act and there's that net that you, that's, a, that's there for you to fall on. Because oftentimes when we begin this practice, this shifting of how we see the world and how we begin to move through the world and old ideas about ourselves start to fall away, there's a groundlessness. It's like, what am I doing? All this stuff that I used to believe I see is just conditioning and just stories. And how do I, how do I move in a different direction? The, 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 the um, sila... This, these precepts are so helpful, you know. And as with anything, as we anything we aspire to, it's really important to recognize what gets in the way. You know, if we want to be generous, what's getting in the way? If we want to be patient, what gets in the way? If we want to offer loving kindness to someone, what's getting in the way? Our insight practice allows us, or it offers us a way to identify what's underneath the stories. 
you know, and, and there's a thing called skillful means. We work slowly and untangle as appropriate. You know, I've been working with an undefended heart um, for years. You know, and sometimes it's not conscious, not consciously working with it, but there's a spaciousness that has arisen. And um, I think I started talking about the undefended heart maybe over at least 11 or 12 years ago. I think maybe 13. And, and you work and you think, it's with any of these things. You, ha you open up a piece of your heart, but then you find a whole bunch of other stuff that's still closed down, and you go, okay, got this. Let's move on to what else is in the way. What's Start where you are. What is causing you discomfort in this moment? That's where you turn your attention. You greet the moment with wisdom and compassion and work right where you are. Work right where you are. And I'm going to say it one more time. Don't forget, it's working with self-love towards yourself, too. We can so often leave ourselves out of the equation, but it doesn't work unless you work with yourself. Treating yourself with kindness, treating yourself with compassion, treating yourself with generosity, treating yourself with patience. Yikes. So I think that's all I have to say about these qualities and offering uh, uh, an invitation to investigate them in your own life and see how you can move towards some more unconditional love, perhaps a little bit more of an undefended heart. So thank you, my friends, for your kind attention. I really appreciate it. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.